Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market events while quaffing a few beers. My name is Boai Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering for the 33rd podcast. Sam, we're on number 33, pretty, pretty big number, important number. Uh, if, you, if you listen to some people, I think the Freemasons are really big into their 33s. Is there anything special we should, uh, we should do for our 33rd episode? Or just the fact that uh, you know, this just so happens to be a pretty, pretty crazy week, all things considered. Do you think that, that's enough to, uh, to make it special? Um, I, it's, it's, it's special in a number of ways, I think. And in, in a weird way, I call it the Scotty Pippen episode because for any NBA fans out there, uh, Scotty Pippen always wore the number 33. Um, the interesting thing about linking that back to the Freemasons is that Scotty Pippen's middle name was Morris. And Morris was the first name of my grandfather. And I found out after my grandfather passed away and we were going through some of his things that he was actually a Freemason and never told us. So, yes, this is significant because it's the Scotty Pippen episode, whose middle name is Morris, whose my grandfather's name was Morris, and he was a Freemason. And if you say 33 is important to Freemasons, then this has just gone whack straight off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, funnily enough, I actually had a, uh, I smoked a cigar yesterday that's made by... I'm glad you said company. cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I smoked a cigar yesterday from a company which uses quite uh, quite suggestive Masonic imagery. I think it's called uh, Hiram and Solomon, and uh, they they make a robusto cigar called wow. Grand Architect. Oof. Uh, and it was it was very good indeed, actually. Uh, you know, generally when uh, cigar brands go very big on the marketing and the advertising, and uh, you know they do lots of crazy stuff with the labels, it's often a mediocre product. You'll find that often with whiskey and stuff as well. But this time it was actually it was actually a very good smoke. So uh, yeah, the Grand Architect. If you if you uh, if you do like to to puff on a stogie every now and then, it is actually a pretty good guitar from uh, guitar, a, a very good cigar from <laughs> uh, from. States. I believe it's. I think they use. I think they rolled in Mexico, uh, but they're pretty good. But anyway, we are getting a, a little off piste. Yeah, we, we, we promise we have not been smoking it. other things this episode so far. <laughs> <laughs> We're just so excited. It's just been such a crazy week in the market. It has indeed. It has indeed. And to start us off, uh, before we do get into market events, we are currently drinking the same thing. Uh, this is Off Tempo, which is a double IPA. And it is made by, uh, oh, in fact, uh, yeah, oh no, it's way by uh, Bad Company Brewing and Distilling. WeareBad.co is the website. Uh, and so far, I've had a, had a few sips of it already. And I must mm. say, uh, very nice indeed. Sam, what do you yeah. make of it? Yeah, I, I agree. This is uh, this is a good British beer. This one made in Yorkshire. Uh, you will see on the back vegetarian and vegan friendly. Hello, um, and yeah, it's so far after just just the early uh, early stages. I'm I'm really enjoying this. It's nice. It's crisp. It's uh, it's refreshing, but also it's pretty potent. It's seven point four percent. So um, yeah. It's it's uh, the the name doesn't doesn't do it justice, but um, I'd say it's on tempo at this point. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's been a pretty on tempo week, all things Ooh, considered. As it was, it seemed very strange to think that you know the Super Bowl was just on Sunday night or mo Monday morning ultimately, uh, and then we had uh, the well, it wasn't even an announcement, right? Tesla mm. just sort of disclosed it in one of its uh, in in its filings. Yeah, uh, that they they were interested in alternative assets which included gold but they'd also bought one and a half billion dollars worth of bitcoin yeah um and this caused a pretty uh, yeah as you would imagine quite a quite a drastic rally what do you make of all of that sam what's your what's your take on it yeah i mean it was so it, there's a few things about it that are just phenomenal so the first thing was is that like you said it was really innocuous that the only people that noticed it were people that just love sifting through uh annual reports and and filings because it was, it was just a, their, their annual report that was released on Monday. So obviously, you know, a lot of analysts go through it and they would have just, they would have read the paragraph that explains that Tesla had decided in January to um, basically change their, their strategy around how they manage their, their, their cash assets or their treasury uh, and to include alternative assets. And, and, and I should probably reference, they said, they said digital assets. So that so they they did buy Bitcoin and they disclosed that they bought 1.5 B 
billion dollars of it through January. I think the average price they said was something around 33,000 something or other, but they did say digital assets so that they can hold digital assets in the future, which suggests to me that this won't be the start of it. And it gives them some room to look to other assets as well. Uh, and that they were also going to start to accept it as, as payment for, for their products and no doubt services. So, I mean, it's huge because this is really the biggest example of a major corporation saying, you know what, we actually believe in this enough that we're going to add it to our books and we're going to allow an economy to, to function here between holders, us, uh, and, and vice versa. So, you know, in that sense, it really just comes back to the thing we've talked about a, a lot where this sort of my, my, my view on the end game is this whole supply chain where people can transact in, in digital assets like Bitcoin. And the Tesla thing is a massive step in that direction. And it, it also says to other corporations out there, if, if we can do this as a 800 odd billion dollar market cap company, you can too. Um, and so I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a historical moment, not just for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but for just finance <laughs> in general, to think that a company so big is now adding a, a, a this this digital asset that is only uh 11 12 12 years old um to their books huge it, it's it, i think maybe people haven't appreciated how significant a moment it is yeah and it does create some quite interesting uh behavior or create some quite interesting incentives from other companies see from my perspective i don't see why a major business would do that because major business like big companies are are not hedge funds ultimately you know they're not trying to invest in the next big trend if that's outside of their own domain yeah um you know the 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 argument goes that well it's it's put to have it in your treasury in order to protect it from uh, you know central bank largesse etc but major companies don't do that with the likes of gold so, it, so it, it's like, why would you? Why would a company want to own Bitcoin as much as it would want to own, you know, te, you know, Apple stock or even Tesla stock, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I don't. So I, I find that quite that I find that quite interesting. Why you do it in the first place? But it, then you get to the point of, if the market favors these companies, so Tesla, the you know, the stock got a you know a, a massive jump on the news. I mean, that it's come off since then, but yeah. I mean, just on the on the news of that, it got a bid. Um, and it creates a, the, this thing of well, if the if you know if the those in charge of the business just want a higher share price, you know, and a lot of them are compensated from uh, earnings per share, etc. Uh, you know, whether or not they would uh, you know jawbone, you know, make a lot of noises about accepting Bitcoin or holding Bitcoin on their treasury just in order to get their own share price up, which I find quite interesting because you know uh, Musk has been such a, a trendsetter when it comes to electric vehicles, um, everyone trying to, you know, and the entire trend of uh, companies which aren't tech companies calling themselves tech companies because they know yeah. that they'll attract capital. You know, you know, it's easier to tap that market if they say they are. It, it's interesting to me whether or not we're going to see something like that with Bitcoin, where, other, where, the, uh, where companies which you wouldn't have thought of would be interested in Bitcoin will start saying that they are just because they see that as a favorable thing uh, from, you know, from both the consumer and from a from an investor perspective, um, yeah, I mean it's just been yeah quite a quite quite I mean it was incredible announcement. I can't say it was it was that surprising given all of the um, all of the noise that Musk had been making making yeah. with. In the end, it was inevitable, and uh, yeah, he, I mean he's talked about Bitcoin before. This is it wasn't yeah like that's true and Dogecoin for that matter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but and I think, the amount that he was recently I think I was was, say, uh, was something. That I think the other thing is, is that you're, you're right. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see that it'll be companies that sell products rather than maybe services like, like physical high, high end sort of almost luxury products. I think we'll start to see them add it more. And I think Tesla have done it because they want to sell more Teslas. Uh, and I think that they are probably recognizing that 
like so Elon Musk is a bit of a forward thinker anyway right I mean he's, he's, he's out there I mean, that's why we've, we've got SpaceX and Starlink and you know he's working on this idea of you know implanting brains with chips and all this kind of crazy shit um, it's for me I think it's it's part part of it's him saying as a company you know we want to look to the future and who are our clients of the future going to be who are our customers of the future going to be and they're probably going to be people in his view that are holding digital assets like Bitcoin. And so if they don't offer payment in Bitcoin, if you can't use it to buy their, their goods, they're going to miss out on like this huge section of the market. And by, by doing it, they are putting themselves as first movers ahead of the likes of GM or Volkswagen. So they're putting themselves ahead of the competition who are fast catching up in terms of the actual product itself. So if you're talking about electric vehicles, Tesla's first mover advantage is fast diminishing. So to stay that step ahead, yeah, I think that they're doing this to, to try and stay a step ahead because they know that the competition's coming with arguably better vehicles um, and also that they've got some issues. They've got some quality control issues around, around their products. Um, and they've got issues in China. Uh, they've, got, they've had recall issues recently around the touchscreens failing. So there's a little bit of cloak and dagger about it, but also I think just to remain that step ahead of the competition. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the cynic view is like, this is just in order to stay in the news and in order to keep, you know, the, you know, the Tesla share price in the news and other, and more and more people thinking that Tesla is the, you know, the future is all Tesla is always the future somehow or other, you know, yeah, exactly. Elon will fix it, etc. But at the same time, I mean, it, I, yeah, I do like your, your idea about that first mover advantage when it comes to being a car company that's going to do that. I mean, traditionally, <laughs> traditionally, uh, Lamborghini are seen as the, uh, as the, the <laughs> yeah. crypto holder's car of choice. So, <laughs> you know, it would be interesting to see if Tesla succeeds in, in making it, uh, you know, a cyber truck or whatever, being yeah. the uh, big crypto holder's, well, so, crypto I mean, holders on that On that point, right, as well, when people are like, oh, you know, you've seen, you've seen a bit this week. It's like, oh, Oracle's going to be the next to do it or Google or whatever. It's like, I don't think that they will. I think it's far more likely that Apple would do it. A, because they're so big that they could, they could afford to, to hold some and, and, and allow that kind of uh, transaction where you can, you know, pay into an into a Apple wallet for their products and they could have premium products. And they'll probably, again, be tapping that, consumer market that is is holding bitcoin and, and digital assets and i think you'll see companies like uh, lvmh do it as well um and those sorts of luxury companies um that, that that sell luxury expensive products because the higher that this goes in fiat money the more that people will end up spending it um to buy when Lambo, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, and v, so VW Group, I can't imagine they'll be far behind or most of the car companies for that matter. These high-end goods companies would be just idiots really to not seriously be considering this. But I did also see apparently that Uber has said that they've looked at it, but they want to protect their cash. So they're not going near it at the moment, which is, you know, the flip side of this view as well. Yeah, and interestingly, their their share price got hammered after that announcement. I mean, not by a massive <laughs> amount, but the fact that that happened sort of further goes into this idea that if you want to keep the you know the the shareholders happy, if you want to keep that the investors happy, this is one of the ways that you can do it. Um, it is interesting with you know with, with other car car companies doing it. And the car sector or the auto sector, as the Americans would say, uh, being a place for that. Because when you think of how flat, well, it's not flat, I mean, it's been deeply negative car sales have been over lockdown. Uh, you can imagine there being quite a lot of thought being put into how can we manage to sex up the idea of selling a car right now? Because we're having a big problem selling cars. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting, it, it, it is, yeah, I would say it's, uh, the car sector where, you know, what the other car companies do is probably a, the best guide as to whether or not this becomes much of a trend. Mm. When you think about it, I think the, the, the PayPal phenomenon of PayPal saying, we're going to allow you to buy and hold Bitcoin, even yeah. if they don't allow you to have your private keys and whatever, is more surprising to me than yep. Tesla doing it, to be honest with you. Because um, well, we, we, it's just the, the sort of legitimacy of, a, of PayPal being such a, uh, established payments company now doing it that that makes me 
that that was something I guess that was a more of a surprise to me than the news about Tesla. But that was a while ago. Well, so Mastercard came out this week as well and said that they mm. were going to integrate it into their systems too because they see it as you know as, as, a, as a future channel for for payments. So yeah, yeah. I think the recognition is that. I mean, I mean, the the recognition is simple: is that it is an effective way. Not it doesn't have to necessarily be Bitcoin, but there are in the crypto world there are very effective ways of of transacting uh, value, and these companies are like, it it actually probably makes sense to to use those those rails, I suppose, in in their existing systems. So you're right. I th I think the PayPal thing is more significant than what Tesla's done. And I think the MasterCard thing is as well, but yeah. because it's not Tesla and Elon, uh, it doesn't get the same kind of, I think, recognition either. So, I mean, there is, like you say, there is definitely that celebrity effect with all of this, which is good and bad. I mean, for fuck's sake, we, we saw Lindsay Lohan this week uh, talking about buying Bitcoin. Gene Simmons is, is gone in on Dogecoin. And even just today, I think I saw Gene Simmons had like purchased like a few hundred thousand dollars worth of Binance coin as well. Um, um, and Soldier Boy, the, the rapper kid guy thing, Soldier Boy yeah, is yeah. going to do a Soldier Coin. Um, I think Lindsay Lohan's done a one-off uh, piece of artwork as a non-fungible token. I mean, in yep. 2017, all these things were signs that it was the top. And now I'm starting to really worry, are we at the top <laughs> already? I mean, for fuck's sake, we're not even, we barely started this cycle. We're already at the top when Lindsay Lohan and Soldier Boy get, are doing this sort of shit. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a big, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot as well. Uh, when you have all of these warning signs and whether or not they are actually warning signs anymore. Yeah. You know, there were, there were some similar events taking place early in 2017. If memory serves, Floyd Mayweather was pushing the stocks yeah. ICO a That's fair right. bit before Christmas. It wasn't, I think it was, was that, I think that was, uh, that maybe it was just summer, or maybe autumn, but it, it was a while before the big blow up top. But, you know, when you're thinking about um, that, for me, the big sort of indicator of whether or not this is a big bubble mania, if we just do the, the simple uh, Google searches just for Bitcoin and just for buy Bitcoin, the, you know, the results are not even close to what they were in 2017, yeah. buy Bitcoin especially. So it could be that everyone already knows how to buy Bitcoin, so they wouldn't be searching buy Bitcoin. But if you just search for Bitcoin, it's already peaked. Right, it's already peaked, and the peak that it did make uh, in the, at the beginning of January yeah. was is already much lower than it was in, at the peak of 2017. Uh, but interestingly, uh, if you go to if you try and if you take a look at Ethereum, just Google searches for Ethereum, they've actually already crested and you know surmounted the 27 peaks already, which I which I find quite interesting. It's like yeah, people right. are already trying to get some leverage to it. Um, but then at the same time, we've got the you know, we've got some some great news announcements. Uh, we've got celebrities going for it. Um, you know, you had yeah. uh, uh, something I read about today that the fact. Oh well, carry on. Go on. I was going to say, I just think this time what it didn't have in 2017 was significant uh, corporate and institutional momentum behind it as well. The ever yep. they were they were all still writing it off as a as a bubble. And it, it's only really been since December, I think, because Tesla only made these changes in January. I think it's only been really since December that they're like, actually, we've, by being very against something back then, we've probably shot ourselves in the foot. Let's not make the same mistake twice. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see how much further good news it gets. Yeah, and in terms of uh, positive announcements, and whether or not the price can maintain its momentum if there aren't any, I think that's I think that's quite key, because there's a at the same time as there being so you know we've had some good news recently, you know there has been an incredible drain on liquidity at exchanges. Yeah, there's been there's that great chart from Glassnode where the actual amount of Bitcoin available on exchanges or just Bitcoin that normally gets traded 
uh, has been significantly, you know, it's been sucked out to such a degree that I think it's even higher. There's even there's an, an even greater dearth of liquidity than in the middle of 2017, which helped run up the, uh, you know, helped run up for the 2017 bull market. So every sort of the marginal dollar that gets put into the market effectively has more weight because there's less Bitcoin there to be bought. There's that interesting sort of dynamic with it. One thing I think, um, you know, when you look about the indicators and, you know, top indicators and things like that, uh, the Lindsay Lohan NFT, uh, you know, she her talking about, uh, you know, Tron and TRX and stuff. Mm. You know, it all does seem... She, I, does seem I have no doubt she was paid for that because... Uh, Neo, the the other R&B artist, came up and and basically said the exact same shit about Tron, and everyone's just like, "Ah, oh, fuck, come on, you guys are just getting paid by Justin Santron." <laughs> yeah, Justin Sun's back at it again. I mean that. I mean that's another 2017 sign, isn't it? Justin Sun's getting back in the game. Well, um, I saw he did an interview on like Bloomberg or something the other day as well. I was like, where the I thought I thought he'd like been killed or arrested or something. No, <laughs> Justin Sun's still there, man. He's he's uh, he's he's making his moves, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's some there's some as 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 the the phrase is is widely used. It there's some pumponomics behind that, but um, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's interesting. I think when I think when Carlos Matos shows up again and starts promoting something like BitConnect. I think that will be a really, really big warning sign. But at the same time, Carlos Matos and BitConnect, actually, that wasn't even that close to the top when that happened. Um, we, it was probably an early indicator that things were going to go really badly wrong in the future when he made that, that yeah. press conference. I think, isn't, um, isn't it DJ Khaled that's, uh, that's the sign of the top? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I th- you know, this is probably something that will be uh, researched and uh, you know will be written down in great detail probably volumes about this will be written at the time i do want to add though as well and and this was i think something i saw this morning was that jack dorsey and jay-z have contributed 500 bitcoin which i think at the time was about or even now is around about 24 million dollars worth to a fund which was going to help develop um something in in africa and india i think it was um i can't remember exactly but it was like a de- it's like a development fund basically to help drag um you know opportunities forward for people in those sorts of regions and that got me thinking as well it's like okay well there's there's a bit of the old celebrity kind of i'm going all in on tron or gene simmons is buying bnb but then when you think that you know, $24 million worth of Bitcoin has been put towards a development fund by Jay-Z and, and Jack Dorsey. There's, there's, there's the good side of it as well. And that, that was what came out of 2017 and what is absolutely going to come out of this cycle as well is that these sorts of mania type periods does bring a lot of new money to the space and it brings a lot of smart people to the space as well. And that was something I said at the 2017, 2018 sort of crypto winter, the crash from those, those highs, was that the, hu- the human capital that came with the financial capital then was so great that that development period over the next couple of years has put us in the position where we are now. And I think that will just amplify again. Even if we reach the, you know, these new crazy peaks and it does crash off again, it'll be that rung higher. And, and, and as I said, the, the development behind it I think will go a long way to to building an even stronger foundation for the next leg up from there as well. And it also makes me think if Jay-Z and Jack Dorsey are putting a lazy 500 Bitcoin into a development fund, how fucking much do they own anyway, aside from that, right? Yeah, big time. I mean, that's no, yeah. When, when did, when did Jay-Z first get in? You know, how many, how many does he have? It's quite a, uh, I mean, how many Beyonce that's... have? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> The, Does the she know Jay Z's private key? <laughs> yeah, it's a. You know, when you're talking about whether or not we're in 2017 again, I remember Mike Novogratz, uh, and this would have been an interview he gave in 2018, I think. So this would have been proper uh, mid, you know, crypto winter if, if memory serves. So Mike Novogratz, you know, the former Goldman guy, got did a hedge fund project called Fortress, uh, you know, sort of. Yeah, you know, things didn't work, work out, and then he got massively into crypto. 
made a huge amount. He was one of the very, very early investors uh, in Ethereum. He effectively paid Vitalik like personally a huge amount of money to get a load of, to get a load of ETH tokens early. Uh, and then he set up his fund, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember in a, an interview he gave uh, in 2018, him saying just, he was, he was asked about how fast, how, you know, what kind of cycles uh, crypto went in generally and how, uh, you know, how you can apply sort of traditional uh, econometrics to, to Bitcoin uh, when it comes to economic cycles, effectively. And he was just saying, if you took uh, traditional economic cycles and you apply them to Bitcoin, like, what can you find? And he just said, the, like, the rules don't apply because the space is accelerating so much. You know, it is, uh, you know, it, it runs so fast. All of the development that's going on here, because it's so asset light, it's just internet. You know, effectively, people just need a computer and an internet connection to be to be working on this. That uh, you know, things can just they they don't they don't run by the same kind of rules. And I felt a bit skeptical about that first because it seems quite like a it's kind of a kind of a cheat answer. You know, it's like saying, uh, well, the rules don't apply to me, uh, mm -hmm. and the rules don't apply to me because I work in a special industry. And that yeah. seemed kind of uh, that seemed like a cheat, right? But then. Considering what it's only been three years um, since the 2017 sort of big blow off top, and we're already we've already reinflated all all over again, and we're already seeing some of the you know some of the strange the strange behaviors that took place in 2017 all over again. Uh, it really does seem like he was right about that. Um, the fact that you know there were a lot of people who were saying I'm only going to get interested in Bitcoin again when it actually is completely trashed. Like we're talking about going back to $100 levels uh, or less or to the teen dollar levels. You know, that, that's what people, some people were expecting. Like that, when that happens, I'll know the market's, you know, died, the interest is gone, and then I'll move in and buy it. Uh, and of course that didn't happen, right? I mean, just, it, you know, it, it never went below $1,000. It never went below, it, I mean, did it even go below $2,000? I mean, uh, I, I, I think the low was, I think the low was 3,000 off the back of 2018. Yeah, I mean, like that. You know, the the fact that it's managed to reinflate at a, at a level that is still in the triple digits, uh, that we mm -hmm. still give it a, a significant valuation, uh, all things considered, if everyone's not interested in it, etc. Uh, I think it does speak to that that speed with which you know this thing just manages to sort of recover and uh, and can just carry on doing all all this crazy stuff. You know, whenever whenever has there been another bubble where you know it, it blows up and then a few years later, it reinflates and does even better. Uh, it, it just seems completely, completely wild to me. But Sam, I've, uh, I've actually finished my off-tempo. How, how would you rate that? Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's been really good. I haven't quite finished because I've been gas-bagging on too much. Um, but that was, that's been really easy to drink. Um, that's a, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a 7.4%. Um, so that... that it, you'd you'd get deceptively drunk <laughs> on that, I think, um, pretty pretty quickly. I wonder I wonder if it's perhaps something to do with the light crystal malt that is used, uh, perhaps in there. Uh, I don't know. I'm I I really I think maybe in the off season I will do some kind of brewing study to understand what the different malts and hops do to get the flavors. Um, very enjoyable that I off tempo that would be added to my list of asterisk beers on our rating system so that I would buy it again. Uh, I'm pretty confident in, in giving that a, I think I'll give that a double B to be honest. I really, really have enjoyed that so far. Yeah, I must say it, that is a very good beer. Uh, definitely one of the, uh, definitely one of the better ones I've had recently. Um, it is interesting to see the vegetarian and vegan, and they both have the same vegan V, uh, well, the same V beside them. Um, but I must say, very nice, very nice. Uh, it's interesting to see dextrose in there as well. I don't think I, I've seen, you see lactose get put in milk stats and stuff, but I'm not seeing dextrose get put in here. And uh, it definitely has done a good job. Very, it's got this uh, sort of bitter, uh, almost tart, but sort of raspy kind of taste to it, mm. uh, which is very refreshing. Um, so, at the moment, it's uh, you know it's absolutely bloody freezing here in Aberdeen, <laughs> but um, you know everyone's got the radiators on, and so because the radiators are on, you know it actually is still quite you know quite nice and pleasant and refreshing to have something cold that's uh, got that sort of bitterness to it. 
So yeah, yeah I, I've enjoyed this very much. I'm going to give it a B plus. I think that's uh, yeah. Nice. That is off tempo by Bad Company Brewing and Distilling. We are bad.co. Yeah, very good indeed. Um, now the next beer, uh, Sam, you've got uh, you've got a different one from me because uh, I've not managed to get a hold of this uh, of this next one that you've got. But tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so the next one I've got um, uh, is called Sat by the Ocean, uh, which is a uh, New England IPA uh, from the Seventy One Brewing Co. Uh, located in Dundee, in uh, at the Ironworks, oh, yeah. the Ironworks in Dundee. Uh, suitable for vegans so that means by nature suitable for vegetarians as well uh, lovely looking sort of uh, can it's got, it's got a real kind of I don't know beachy feel to it which you'd expect from uh, from one called sat by the ocean uh, there now this is six percent it's a it says on the can a limited edition series um, yeah I'm uh, I'm looking forward to, to digging into this one uh, resulting in low bitterness accompanied by melon and stone fruit fr flavors so it's a, it's a nice little departure in flavor from the off tempo which they say has has uh, flavors of pine grapefruit and orange marmalade um so should be an, an, an interesting taste uh change from what we just just had well i do i do like dundee uh, it's a very a very fine city so uh, hopefully the beer will match up uh, over here, I'm on. Uh, I'm on. I'm drinking a uh, a Doppelbock called Aventinus by Schneiderweiser. Uh, it's an 8.2 percent, and it's a Weizen Doppelbock, so it's not just a, a straight Doppelbock. Uh, and it comes in quite a large bottle. I think this is a 500 mil. Yeah, half a liter. Nice. And uh, yeah, made in uh, made in Bavaria, I believe. And uh, yeah, I'm. At, you know, I may. <laughs> You know, I may, you know, this is sort of as an aside, but I may actually be drinking an awful lot more of this uh, particular brew in the future uh, as uh, I'm going to try and follow in the path of Bavarian monks in the, uh, in the 17th century, I believe, Ooh, who uh, only drank Doppelbock and did not eat any food uh, during <laughs> the Lent period. So I'm going to give this a go. And it, that starts in five days' time. Wow. Uh, and this has been achieved by people in the modern era. Uh, there was a, I believe there, there was a guy in the early 2000s who, who gave it a go. He got some, uh, he got some special Doppelbock made for him. And he was drinking four Doppelbocks a day on the weekdays and six at weekends. Uh, and he managed to make it to the end of, uh, the end of Lent. So, you know, the wow. whole 46 days. I love the way so, that, you, that you, the way you just described that really sets the scene for you not being able to achieve this. <laughs> the way that you just used the term in the modern era suggests mm. that it's not widely something that people do. So I am, oh, I, am no, I can't wait for this. You, you need to, you need to document the, the journey uh, <laughs> because this is, this is going to be one for the records, I would think. Yeah, so the guy, there the, the, the have been a couple of guys who've done this in the States. And uh, the, the, guy, the first chap that did it, who he, did, he wrote a blog as he did it. Um, and at the end of the, uh, I, I remember one of his comments at the, at the very end of the end blog, of the, he'd forgotten how to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he said he had developed a huge amount of respect for what the human body <laughs> is capable of. So yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting experience. You know, obviously, if um, if I do become uh, you know start to feel you know generally very unwell, then <laughs> then I'll stop. If this is actually becoming a serious health issue. Uh, I'm not. I won't continue with it. Why, why is I, it that uh, they? Why I, is it that they did that? Why why did they decide to to go on this alcoholic pilgrimage? Well, it's not an alcoholic pilgrimage. So it's more denying the body food uh, just to, uh, you know, for Lent, you got to give up stuff that you like. So they, they gave up food and, and they drank what they call liquid bread. So Doppelbock, the beer style, is, was a, a style that was generally just concocted by the monks to have as much calories in it as possible in order for them to help them you know, get, make it through Lent. So Doppelbock, if you ever see one, that is, that is the, effectively the recipe that was originally used to help these guys get through Lent without dying. So um, yeah, it'll be, uh, it will be an experience. It, I, think, 
I think I should probably take some before and after images because I think I might look a fair bit different after, uh, you know, almost two months of, of, of only consuming Doppelbock. But we'll see. I, I, I look forward and I, I support, I support this, this, this effort. You almost, I feel like there should be a GoFundMe page for it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, I'm afraid. Yeah, I am afraid. This, this is an announcement for the podcast. On the next few weeks' podcast, that we definitely will be doing them, but I will only be drinking probably <laughs> one or one type of beer. And I'll probably be giving it different ratings each week as I yeah. steadily get sick of it and just don't want to have it anymore. That's a good point. We, should, I, we, we will get you to rate it every week and, <laughs> and, and see just because how it might change from week to week. Uh, is it is it, like can you get different kinds of doppelbock that may taste yeah, different? Yeah. yeah, indeed you can. Uh, though they are remarkably hard to find at the moment, which has been just uh, been a real pain for me because uh, you know at a time when I, when I need there to be as much variety as possible. Sadly, I can only it, when you're buying in bulk, it is it is hard to find um, you know much of much of much variety. <laughs> so it will be mostly. It will be mostly just one or two brands, so it'll be a, it will be quite an experience. Well, I'm, guess, I'm guessing the Costco is it's not something that they uh, they probably stock loads of either. Yeah, so far it's been Amazon. Actually, it's behind. Is that it's actually behind me at the moment? I've got three boxes uh, piled up on the, on top of each other, containing sixty bottles of of Doppelbock <laughs> of exactly the same brand. So yeah, it will be. Um, There'll be a certain monotony to it. I, uh, I'm interested to, I'm, I'm wondering if you don't eat anything, you should have a much lower tolerance to alcohol. But at the same time, mm. if you're drinking regularly and that's the only thing you're consuming, you would imagine that your body would develop a greater tolerance to it. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. But we have gone slightly off topic, actually. <laughs> uh, in terms of, uh, well, one thing I wanted to, one, one thing I want to run by you, Sam, when it comes to the whole Bitcoin thing, we have at the same time as hearing all this bullish news, we've also seen the Nigerian government go pretty hard against Bitcoin. And then Binance, you know, out in Malta say, by the way, we are going to take uh, Nigerian Naira as, uh, you know, you're all, you can bank with us effectively if you want to buy BTC. I get the impression from this that uh, CZ over at Binance has maybe uh, maybe gone a step too far because I think that, him doing that and effectively denying a developing country sort of sovereignty over their own currency is going to be sold as cryptocurrency tech guys have, are, are exerting way too much power over the real world. This needs to be stopped. What do, you, yeah. what do you make of that? Well, so in the last 24 hours, I think it's been maybe a bit longer, the Nigerian government assembled uh, to debate this and they've decided to sort of go easier on the idea of banning it and, and try and regulate it because they've, they actually said that it, it makes their currency and their economy effectively worthless and that it would destroy their economy within a few years uh, if, it, if it continued without them uh, really having some input as to how they can use it for their own benefit. So I think the thing is, is that, They've realized that if they ban it, people are going to use it anyway. And if they use it anyway, then it's going to destroy the Nigerian economy. And so they're like, holy shit, uh, uh, what do we do? What do we do? So they're going to try and figure out how to um, embrace it and regulate it in a way that it doesn't kill their economy and make their, the, whole, the whole financial system in Nigeria collapse. So... This, what, we, what we're seeing in Nigeria right now is, is going to become, I think, a test case for how this affects other economies around the world. It's, it's, it's a very quick about face by the Nigerian government, which really makes me wonder that since the idea to ban it, if the, the use and uh, the, the flow of, of, of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies from from Nigerian into Nigeria and around Nigeria just absolutely spiked beyond belief. So much so that they genuinely shat themselves and were like, "Holy fuck, we're we're in trouble now." <laughs> so, so they yeah, like I said, they've sort of they're going to go away and, and and get together a working paper, I think, and and some research on how they can regulate it and embrace it. So, 
I think this may be the first sign that governments are actually probably more likely to try and regulate and embrace it rather than just flat outright go, you know, no, we're going to ban this sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that this might be the early signs of a frenemy relationship Mm. between government and Bitcoin rather than what's normally described as governments, this is the opposite of government, therefore government hates it sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think what we will find is that this next cycle at the end of it becomes a much more stable, I suppose, if you want, in the more traditional sense, ecosystem where there are better uh, consumer protections in place. There are measures for um, cryptocurrency exchanges or on-ramps to have better uh, insurance, better protection, consumer protection in terms of protection of funds, uh, anti-theft mechanisms, ways to recoup money, much like the existing banking system works, you know, in terms of protecting deposits and things like that. So I think we'll probably see at the back of that uh, more of more traditional style consumer protections and regulations. Um, but I don't think it will necessarily hamper the development because like we, we were talking a little bit off air about how a lot of the things that are in development now uh, are widely open source so that anybody can, can work on and develop and contribute and pay and, and get, sorry, get paid in to, to further protocols and further, um, you know, push forward the development in, in this space. It's like, for example, um, just the other day, I was looking at, a, a, I guess, a, a crypto project called Nexus Mutual. Uh, and it is, you can, you can buy insurance through Nexus Mutual uh, for your crypto assets. So, for instance, they've got this one particular product on there. Uh, where you can insure your your deposits on Coinbase so that if Coinbase were to be hacked or attacked and you were to lose your funds that were on Coinbase, Nexus Mutual would pay out the insurance policy that you that you purchased. So, for example, you could insure your, your uh, Coinbase account for 365 days and you pay in cryptocurrency a premium for that cover, which I think worked out at like, three or 4% um, for whatever the value. So let's say you had five grand in Coinbase and you wanted to cover that five grand with an insurance policy, then you do, and for 365 days, you pay like a four point something percent fee to cover that. Um, and, And the way that it works is that the collateral behind it is contributed by anyone. Uh, and in terms of them contributing the collateral, they uh, receive a yield reward for that. So it's, it's basically exactly how an insurance company works in the real world, yep. except anyone can participate. I mean, this sort of stuff is bonkers. It's open source that anyone can take, take part of, but it, it's effectively an insurance company. I mean, it's it, the, the, the stuff that's happening around insurance, loans, lending, uh, deposits, all this sort of thing is just mind-bending. Yeah, big time. I think the yeah that that sort of uh, model where you're effectively taking an existing business like insurance, and then you're just stripping away all of the bureaucracy and the paperwork and yeah. uh, well and 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 indeed the employees that are needed to to middle manage all of the steps through that and just putting it all on well effectively everything is just getting outsourced to smart contracts. You can see where how somebody might you know, take advantage of that in a big way. One of the things I found quite interesting with Jack Mallers, with his product, uh, with his project, uh, with Strike, was where he mentioned that people were effectively using smart contracts and stable coins to allow um, employees on, on contract to be paid per minute. Yeah. So yeah. every minute that you're at work, your paycheck is arriving. You are genuinely being paid all the time. Forget, you know, waiting every month if you're in yeah. UK or every two, two weeks that? in the US. It's and it's, it's strange to think that when you think of it that way, it's like, well, why, you know, why is it that yeah. people only get paid, yeah. you know, at the end of the month? Why <laughs> exactly. is it people get paid? How stupid yeah, is it? The answer is, yeah, it's just it's just really the money system hasn't caught up with uh, with the technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's the same for insurance as well. Like if you've got a car 
and you pay an annual premium for your car insurance. Why the fuck do you pay an annual premium for your car insurance if it spends 60% of the time, maybe even more, 70, 80% of the time in a fucking garage parked, not going anywhere? Why shouldn't you pay per minute that you're on the actual road for protection? You know, yeah. these sorts of things are exactly what need massive disruption. And the pay thing, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Big time. Big time. That, and especially when you sort of rig it up with Internet of Things ideas where, yeah. you know, the, the car just effectively, the, the car registers when, when it's on the road and when it isn't. Yeah. And you're paying that premium for when it's on the road and you're not when it isn't. It, it, it seems, you know, of course, and it's very simple to just, you know, describe it like that. Obviously, there is a huge amount of back-end development that needs to take place in order for that to be done. And but I should, I should add that there are fintechs that do do that now. Um, that so that can, that is that is done sort of per minute insurance coverage. But the what what makes this different is the decentralized nature of it in terms of it's not you know it's not a company that's backed by big VC or institutional money. It's uh you know it's it's a it's a project that you know may, you know works that anyone can be a part of and reap the financial benefit from. So it really is a democratization of. Uh, of, of finance and, and, and big corporations in that sense. Yeah. And I think ultimately, uh, I mean, in order to make it, I, I mean, I would sort of simple down. I mean, it's just a disruption of existing inefficiency yeah, within yeah, the market. Definitely. So all this does is just make things more. Ultimately, what's getting disrupted is, is some, are things that are, are less productive. So, uh, you know, I think, and that's why I see it as ultimately a good thing, even if it does lead to problems within the legacy industries that get disrupted, ultimately it's making it cheaper for everyone else to use that kind of product and services. And then from that, you know, greater efficiencies, greater productivity can ultimately be built. Um, yeah. One thing, by the way, by the way, Sam, uh, you know, we are, we are getting on for time slightly here, but the, in terms of when we were just talking earlier about the 2017 bubble oh, well but it was just the last cycle because i mean things got crazy 2013 14 i mean there was there's plenty of craziness always in this space because it's it's the internet i mean it's a natively digital place and the internet's always crazy all of the time so of course there's always going to be crazy things that operate around this thing that is only based in the internet right but in terms of some of the strange things uh and i've i've sort of i've i've, I've mentioned this once to you before but I was looking at the Kusama Society and <laughs> yeah, right. the, some of the interesting things that they're getting up to there. And I mean, Kusama is still a relatively mainstream as, crypt, as far as crypto goes in that it's got explicit approval from Polkadot, which is now a massive crypto platform. Uh, and Kusama is meant to be, you know, their, their test net, except it's not a test net. They're calling it what a canary network where they yeah. try things out. And if things go wrong in that network, then they'll know not to implement them on their main network, Polkadot. But the Kusama Society with the human blockchain pro project. So you've got a load of guys, I think it's like 50 people now who don't know each other. Are all, have all got like an identical tattoo or something. And just as uh, networks come to consensus and they check all of the previous nodes every now and then in order to make sure that they are still true, these guys are asking each other to prove to them that they have this tattoo. And I think it's of a, you know, it's of a, of a canary or whatever. I mean, what do you make of all of this? This does, it does speak to me very much of, uh, well, it just does seem, it does strike me as very strange. It's, do you know, when you say it like that, it's like the human blockchain project. It sounds to me like a Tom Six movie, like right. the, the, the human centipede or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's, and, and, and like the idea of, of getting a tattoo to verify you're the next, you, you know, you're the next part of that blockchain is wild. I mean, it, it, like people could say, and I said this to you the other day, it's like people say that Bitcoin's a cult. I was like, if you want to know what a cult is, check out the human blockchain project with the <laughs> crazy zone doing that at Kasama. But it, in a sense, like it you know, maybe maybe it's it, it it foreshadows you know something you know that in 50 60 70 100 years time maybe isn't that wild is that is that there there is this kind of alternative network 
of, of people that, that sort of want to live outside the controls of centralized authority and that to identify each other, you know, you verify yourself through a, through a tattoo that you've got that says, you know, I'm one of you guys. Um, you know, that, that in itself, you know, the use of tattoos in a tribal sense is something that's happened for a very long time. Uh, this is just a very modern iteration of that, I suppose. And, and maybe it, it, it's something that we will see become a little bit more, I guess, mainstream in that sense. But that it, 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 the idea of, of being a part of a network through a physical uh, identifier a network that is importantly outside of the reaches of control of, of centralized authority. Uh, you know, maybe there's something in that. I know it's weird and it's whack and it's not something I'd necessarily do, but maybe it's not as weird and whack as maybe we think. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the way that they're trying to apply it, where they're trying to create sort of a human version of what's going on in the blockchain with these constant checks on where you have to, you know, it's like, it's like proof of work, proof of stake. They need to prove that they have a tattoo. So they need to, so you get checked up on every now and then in order to, to show that you've got it. Um, I don't know. I mean, the way that it's been described where they're talking about sort of a fusion between man and machine and they're really going hard onto the sort of uh, accelerationist uh, path. It, well, it just seems very strange. But you know, they, I think they were playing, you need to like apply it, but they'll pay you $3,000 and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it seems like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems quite interesting, but I do find it, I, I think it's more interesting that it's Polkadot that's backed this. Yeah, uh, because <laughs> which is like super, it's a super mainstream project, Polkadot. <laughs> Massively, yeah. Like crazy. I, I do find it weird as well. I, 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 re, I, I come in and out of out of how weird it is because I think that this idea of transhumanism or this augmentation of, of human and machine is a, something that hasn't really been spoken about in great depth in the wider sort of investment community. But I think it's a, a it's a trend that we need to recognise early on is that I, when, I don't believe we will exist in a world where you know i robot style the robots you know take over or terminator style where the robots take over the world the, i think the truth of the matter is is that the augmentation of what machines can do better than we can uh and what we can do better than machines has a nice kind of symbiosis together where where it can coexist and that that doesn't mean implanting chips into your brain necessarily but it does mean taking you know technology on board in a physical way that perhaps we haven't done before and you know that these terms like biohacking and transhumanism probably uh do it no great service but this this idea of things like like augmented reality is a soft way into it where we you know we're, we're using technology and we're augmenting what we can see what we can physically do as as, as humans and we are adding a, a a machine layer a digital layer to that and I think that it's actually going to be one of the really big uh, areas of opportunity, of investment, um, everything from the sort of the hardware side of it and the software side of it, right up to, you know, the, 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 the medical uh, integration of it, the, all these sorts of things, you know, how it's, how it's actually applied. I think it's going to be a very significant trend uh, over, over this decade that is probably a bit hard to see right now with everything that's going on. But I think even just with what's happened in the last year, uh, that it, that, that has brought that time frame forward because we will use technology more now to, I think, identify our environment to survey, scan, um, gather data and information about our environment and relay that to ourselves in a, in a much more faster real time way. So I think it's going to creep up on us a, a lot faster which you know, I know, I know a blockchain-based project, canary project tattoo is is you know not quite the same, but it's it's a just another little indicator that I think this is another area that we probably need to keep an eye on as well. Are you telling me that Google Glass is they're they're going to release <laughs> the, uh, a newer version? Ah man, Google Glass. Ah, oh, I I I wish I'd bought one. I was so close to buying same. one. 
so close. And and it was it's one of those things where I wish I'd bought it, kept it in its box, and you know put it put it in my little uh, display cabinet that I've got behind me with a mini disc player or a, a, a Walkman, uh, you know the second the, the second generation iPod, Game Boy. You know, there's a few few vintage things in there. I wish I'd got the Google Glass as well. Um, it, we those sorts of things are, are coming a lot faster. I know Microsoft is working on some really crazy um, augmented reality stuff at the moment. Um, not not the Hololens thing, but some some other things. I think Apple as well. You know, there's a reason Apple put lidar technology in their iPhone. It wasn't just to take better photos. Um, I think these are the sorts of things that we're going to see really integrate into all our devices in our in our lives in a, in a, a lot faster than probably we realise. I do. I wonder if there is anybody that is still using Google Glass. You know, any of the early adopters. Robert Scoble are, probably. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, these guys who are. You know, who actually found decent utility out of it and were like, yeah, I, I, this is great. I want to I wanna use it more. I, I do wonder if, you know, like what happens when the charger breaks or something? Like, what do you do? Like, what's the, uh, what, 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 how, how do you get it fixed? Because chances yeah. are, if, you, if you're one of the people who bought Google Glass, you'd probably, uh, you'd probably have a fair amount of money anyway. So you, maybe you'd be able to get it fixed. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it'd be fascinating like just now, I'd probably be more comfortable with using Google Glass than when it was released. It seemed like a crazy idea when it was released, um, but you know now I really want to want to see what it what it's like. What I, it I, use, I used one, so I, I actually have used one, and I've used other augmented reality devices similar to it over over the years, including some uh, I think it was Vuzix Vuzix uh, glasses and goggles and stuff like that. And you know those early iterations of it were quite cool. Like I remember at CES one year, there was like just this sort of green square in this display. And then you put on the glasses and there was like this little football game just started playing uh, on, on the green square. It's like, like a, right. and you took them off and it wasn't there. And you put them on and it was there again. You know, it was, so it's, 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 you know, crazy kind of, kind of tech. Um, and, and those, those are the, early, you know, the early stages, like, you know, in the early nineties, I think it was, uh, when Apple was at CES and they displayed the Apple Newton, which was really one of the first iterations of a, of a, of a smart device or a PDA, which was what came after it. Uh, and then the smartphone, you know, the, what those sorts of augmented reality things that, you know, I've seen in the last three or four years uh, are, the, are the Apple Newton of, of today. And that in another 20, 30 years time, uh, this stuff this is it'll be ubiquitous I, I have no doubt it'll be ubiquitous the glasses that i wear on my head now will have the kind of technology that i'll be able to just add a layer of augmented reality you know i probably won't be using a a, a big tv screen as my monitor it'll just be you know the, my wall and i'll be able to pull up the information you know very minority report stuff which you know sci-fi can be good for that sort of thing to give you that imagination of what we can actually achieve and and, and i think that, it, that those sorts of things and they creep up on people, right? Smartphones, they just, you know, they didn't just appear out of nowhere. They crept up on us over decades. Those sorts of technologies do do that. They, they seem out there until they're right, you know, until you're using them. And then it's kind of like, oh, shit, where'd that come from? And you're like, oh, it's been mm. fucking 30 years in development. <laughs> yeah, now, and now it's the, the first thing I see in the morning and the last thing I see at night. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's quite eerie in a way, but no, it is... It is pretty interesting. I wonder what the how the fashion industry is going to. I wonder mm. if anyone's going to be able to successfully integrate smart tech with fashion because. Well, so arguably like Apple that did that, right? Yeah, I, no, but Apple's the exception. Yeah, they're the only ones who managed to do it. Ultimately, true. Get that's the, true. Get the ultra luxury brands who managed to do it, but it must not be that successful because after you see them for a while, they don't. That you don't see adverts for them anymore so i don't yeah so i think it's just apple that, that had that you know the ma the magic juice that was able was able to do it i wonder if there's uh because a lot of people wear glasses uh yourself included mm. and uh, you i wonder if you know philippe stark and all that will be able to come up with something where you'd actually what? really want because they would be big i'm i'm almost certain they would be larger glasses than uh, than you'd normally get right that would have in order to carry all the hardware so it'd be interesting yeah. to see if you'd get yeah. uh you know, whether or not someone would be able to make really big glasses sexy or not. Well, that or was always my like... argument with Google Glass was that it was ugly. <laughs> and, 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 and that those sorts of technologies, they don't reach, like the Apple Newton PDA, even PDAs from Palm, the Palm Pilot and stuff like that. 
they were they were cool they were good but they were a little bit niche because they were just fucking ugly and they were you know people you didn't want to really be seen with them and even blackberries right blackberries were cool revolutionary game-changing stuff but ultimately they were the they were the device of suits and no one cool wanted to be seen with a blackberry that's why the apple uh iphone and stuff became so you know so breakthrough because it was you know it was it was stylish it was fashion blended with technology and i think you're right yeah. i think whoever can crack that code of of fashion uh and meeting the right trend at the right time with fashion and technology they're the ones that will dominate those sorts of sectors yeah i wonder if google glass if they just wait if they just held the technology and just worked on it and developed it and then waited for a pandemic induced lockdown <laughs> where nobody's going to see you wearing it maybe then it would have been a takeoff success maybe yeah you know, they, you know held it until then. you make a good point there as well uh that everyone they're all so keen to get out these concepts and these 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 sorts of technologies so that they can show everyone how amazing they are but they're 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 so frequently far too early uh, to really take off. And then, then interest wanes and people start going, ah, this is a bit shit. And then by the time you actually probably get to a point where they're ready to develop, you know, year, years ago before that point, they've, they've canned the project because they can't get funding or development money for it anymore. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's best to sometimes just keep things under wraps a lot longer than, than they typically do these days. It's because we're in so demand for new things and new tech and new stuff that uh, to, to have to wait for something now, uh, it becomes, you know, it's like with movie trailers. You, you, I saw a movie trailer the other day for a movie that's coming out, I think at the end of 2022, it's like two years away. But I don't, why, why do I, by the time I, the movie comes, I'll be like, oh, there'll be other movies now. There'll be new trailers for movies now. It's, it's weird, We're so, it's such an in-demand consumption economy that we live in that no one wants to wait for anything anymore but sometimes that's probably the best thing to actually do mm. i do wonder whether or not uh whether or not it's the shareholders who are to blame for that rather yeah, than probably. the consumers in that the shareholders have so much weight at the corporate level to say you know you need to keep me stimulated <laughs> like you need to you know, <laughs> show me that you're doing something every every quarter so yeah. you need to come up with this, that, and the other. Um, you know, video games, the, the video game company, Square Enix, is notorious for managing to keep <laughs> fans uh, stimulated for decades on end for video game releases. Uh, I remember, I think it was Final Fantasy 15, yeah. was originally Final Fantasy versus 13. And they, <laughs> they must have released a trailer for that, I think in like 2005 or something. And it only came out in 2018 or something. It was... It was a ridiculously long wait, but somehow they managed to do it. But they're a big Japanese conglomerate sort of sort of business. Well, not quite a conglomerate, but I mean, they're, they are very, oh, they're very huge. Much, yeah. Yes. So they could get away with it. But maybe, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you get tech companies should, you know, instead of just churning out the next Apple 200 or whatever, you know, they should, well, the iPhone, well, the iPhone probably, what, what number iPhone are we on now? Is it? Um, I don't know. I'm guess. I think is it, I think Samsung's up to twenty or twenty one or something with the Galaxy. I, I genuinely I lost track. Is it twelve? Yeah, I mean twelve. I don't think we've yeah. I don't think we've got to thirteen. I'd remember if we'd gotten to thirteen, but yeah, I'll probably skip thirteen because it's an unlucky number or something. Yeah, it's like in in China with uh, with number Lifts four. They would just, <laughs> yeah, they just get to the next one. Yeah, uh, but anyway. We have, uh, we have gone off on, on a mild tangent here. Uh, <laughs> Sam, would you like to give us a nice review of the, of the good beer from Dundee? Uh, so weirdly, I mean, so th it was very much, um, it did that the melon and stone fruit flavors uh, came through with it. Um, no, it's not as strong as the off-tempo, but uh, at 6%. And, and it is, it's, I mean, it's a New England IPA, so it's a slightly different uh, IPA. But it felt, it's, it's quite heavy. It kind of sits in the stomach like bleh, a little bit. Um, I, I mean, the flavors were nice, but sort of getting towards the end of it, I've, I've found it increasingly harder to drink. It's like when you pick up a chain and, and walk it up a flight of stairs. It's easy to pick up at the bottom, but by the time you get to the top, it's pretty fucking heavy and you just want to let it go. Um, and that's kind of how I feel a bit about this one. So, I mean, it was nice, uh, but yeah, a little bit over overpowering. And which is weird because it's, 
it was, as I said, it's a, it's a lower ABV than the off tempo, but I found the off tempo much easier to drink. Um, so sat by the ocean. I think I'll, I think I'll just, I think I'd give this an A plus. Yeah. Sat, it sat in the stomach too much. Yeah. Um, I think for the, uh, for the Schneiderweiser Aventinus, 8.2%. It doesn't taste 8.2%. Um, double box are funny when I've had them in the past. Uh, I was, you know, this idea for me to, um, for me to do the, just drink double box over Lent. I was actually challenged by a relative of mine who said that during Lent, you're meant to give up what you like, uh, rather than only doing what you like, which is drinking beer. So, uh, I, she, she said, you know, you should, uh, you should be instead giving up beer rather than only drinking beer. To which my, uh, my reply was, well, I actually don't like Doppelbock as a style at all. So this does actually constitute, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> does constitute, you know, Lent, I guess. But anyway, the funny thing with Doppelbocks is they taste quite, quite peculiar. Um, to begin with, this one is kind of, kind of sour almost. But then after you've had it for a while, it tastes like beans on toast almost. So <laughs> this one, you know, it's quite peculiar. It does taste high calorie, which is what it's meant to be. Um, 8.2% doesn't taste 8.2, but it is kind of heavy. I think I'll give it an A+. Plus. I, think it, uh, I think it does what, it's, what it aims to do. Uh, and, and that's good enough. I mean, that's, that's what you pay for. But yeah, that is the end of episode 33. 33 of Booze, Booms and Busts. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, a big number, a big number. We are on the 33rd degree of booze, booms and busts now. Uh, but we shall be back again with episode 34 next week. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you are liking this, be sure to give us a nice follow on Twitter. Uh, we also do, uh, we are thinking of doing, inviting more guests on in the future. Uh, if you have any suggestions or anything like that, do be sure to give us a, uh, do, do be sure to send us a message. But in the meantime, that's all for the moment. Hope you have a good weekend. And we'll see you next time.